When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to a Friday edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. Dan Lobby with Mary Kay Cabot. We're going to talk a little Browns here off the top. And then coming up in the second part of the podcast, we are going to do a succession draft. We've become like a, a part-time succession podcast. It's great. We're going to have a special guest on the pod to uh, to help us with the draft. Nate Ulrich from the Akron Beacon Journal is going to join us. He's a big succession fan. He's been listening to the Orange and Brown Talk pod for a long time and loves the succession discussion. So we're going to have Nate on to help us out with that. Ashley's going to join us as well. I probably should have said Ashley first, but oh well. uh, <laughs> Ashley is going to join us as well uh, for that part of the podcast is too before for that part of the podcast too, before she runs off to cover the calves. So Mary Kay, let's just touch on some news here that's kind of happened to this week. And let's start with the Haslam's and the Milwaukee Bucks. It became official. They were approved. They are now uh, part owners of the Milwaukee Bucks. It's it's a significant stake, 25%. It's equal to the other highest percentage um, of ownership in the Bucks. So it is a significant uh, stake in an NBA, in an NBA team. Sets up like you put in your in your tweet an awkward matchup maybe with the Cleveland Cavaliers in the second round depending on what happens with them and the Knicks but uh, the sale now official in the Haslam Empire just kind of continues growing. Yeah, it's it, I think it's very significant. Uh, now they own three professional sports teams or are part of ownership of at least one of them, and they own the other two. So they own the Columbus Crew. Um, and then the soccer team, and they have a beautiful stadium down in Columbus that I, I do actually want to go see that one of these days. And um, then the Browns and now the Bucks. So they are making inroads. And then um, Jimmy's brother actually, I believe, is a either is a part owner of the uh, Tennessee um, NHL team. I don't even know the name of them, but. Um, but anyways, so it's the I, it's the Nashville Predators. I think. Oh, there we go. Yeah. Yes. Um. So, so they kind of have their sports tentacles everywhere, and I think they want to keep adding to the portfolio. Some years ago, uh, they you know they they named the Haslam Sports Group, and it involves Jimmy and D, and then their son-in-law J.W. Johnson and their daughter Whitney and probably other family members too, but the Haslam sports group, uh, you know, it's a, it's a growing empire and geez, uh, why not buy a sports team or a piece of a sports team if you can, right? I mean, 
look, the the Haslam's purchased the Cleveland Browns for just over $1 billion in 2012, 2013. And the Josh Harris group, the investment group that is has a tentative agreement to buy the Washington Commanders, the purchase price is just over $6 billion, right? So the return on investment is absolutely enormous when you do this. And I think they also kind of like just being involved in the whole sports scene. It's fun. It's different. It's different than owning, uh, you know, gas stations slash convenience stores. Uh, you know, it kind of puts you on the map just in terms of, of every, you know, everything, you know, media and, um, you know, it is like a little bit like Logan Roy. It kind of gets you out there um, and gives you some some power and some name recognition. And maybe, you know, maybe that's important to them. But um, but, you know, I do think this is very, very significant. And uh, and I think that they will continue to grow their holdings. Yeah. And the NBA ownership, I mean, these franchises aren't getting any any less valuable. You, you mentioned the the Washington commander sale, $6 billion. That's insane. Um, but we're seeing NBA teams. I believe the Suns sale recently was for some, somewhere around $4 billion. Um, you do the math on this, they paid 800,000, eight, a little over 800,000 for a quarter of the bucks. So that puts you close to $4 billion there for their valuation. I, I mean, these, these franchises aren't getting uh, any less valuable. And I think that the NBA thing is interesting because when you think about NFL owners, it's mostly, you know, they're a little older. There's just, there's some legacy owners, you know, they kind of stay in families, the NBA ownership kind of going back to Mark Cuban, but especially now it's, it's starting to skew younger. You know, it's a little bit more where kind of the younger kind of rich folks are, and it's all relative of course, but like the young, like the younger money is going into the NBA. And I wonder if that's, kind of part of what the Haslam's are looking at too, because the other thing with, with Milwaukee is they just opened a new arena. And part of that new arena was kind of building up the area around it and mm-hmm. sort of doing a, a whole, like a holistic approach to that. And of course we'll, we'll get to the stadium here shortly, but uh, the Haslam's are kind of approaching something like that with uh, what used to be first energy stadium. What is now Cleveland Brown stadium. Yeah. And I think that, uh, that's very important to them. They want to leave their mark on the communities that they're in as well and try to build up those cities as much as they can. They live in Bratton all. They love living on the lake. They love Cleveland. They see the potential in this city. And I'll tell you what, I, for one, really applaud that because I remember back when Randy Lerner owned the Cleveland Browns. I sat down with him one time uh, to do a one-on-one interview, and I asked him, do you want to be part of putting Cleveland back on the map, of transforming downtown Cleveland and making this into a great city, a destination for young people? And he was like, no, not really. He did not want to do that. That was just not in his thinking at all. And it absolutely is in the thinking of the Haslam. I think I asked Jimmy Haslam that the very first time I interviewed him uh, when they first agreed to purchase the Cleveland Browns back in 2012, because I do think it's vitally important. Cleveland was built and founded on old, old money, the Rockefellers. And, you know, the, the Cleveland was the place to be way, way back in the day. And it was headed towards becoming like a Chicago. And, um, and politically, it just kind of all fell apart. I mean, they, 
um, the, the powers that be, I believe, asked uh, John Rockefeller to pay a bunch of taxes on, on things that he didn't want to pay those taxes on. And he basically picked up his ball and left. And, uh, and Cleveland went from being uh, a very vibrant and moneyed city to, you know, really kind of struggling after that as, as more of a, a steel belt kind of town. And, and I think it takes billionaires like the Haslam's to help transform a city. And that is what Cleveland needs. And I think, Dan, I really believe this in my heart of hearts. I think over the next five, six, seven years, I think it's really striking while the iron is very hot. Because if you look at what what is going on in some of our very large American cities, there's so much crime going on that people are leaving those cities. I just watched something the other day on San Francisco and how uh, it's just so dangerous to be in San Francisco right now that people are just leaving there in droves. Every time I talk to people about Chicago, I know a lot of young people leaving Chicago because they don't necessarily feel that safe there anymore. I know there's a lot of talk about New York in that same way and other big American cities. Well, here we are, uh, you know, poised and situated right on the lake. Uh, that, you know, the crime is not what you're going to find in a Chicago or a New York or a San Francisco. I think uh, it is a place where young people, professionals and businesses are going to want to relocate. And I'm, I really am, am thrilled because I love Cleveland. I was born and raised here. And they're giving all the credit to, uh, you know, to the city, to the county, to Mayor Bibb. You know, they, they don't want necessarily, um, you know, all of the credit. I asked them that at the owners meetings last month. I said, do you want that to be part of your legacy, transforming this city and putting it on the map? And they were like, I mean, Jimmy admitted that, you know, yes, that, you know, that is part of it for them. But right now they're just, you know, kind of laying low on in that regard a little bit and letting Mayor Bibb drive the bus on on this project. But if it turns out the way everyone envisions it to, it's going to be pretty darn amazing. Uh, sometimes I feel like I like I could be like a spokesperson for Cleveland. Just I love the city so much. And um you know, I'm all about doing whatever it takes to, you know, to, to turn this into what I think it can be. I mean, just the physical plant that we have uh, right here on the lake and, um, you know, the opportunities that are there. I'm grateful that the Haslam's are, are willing to be a part of of just making Cleveland an amazing place to be. So the other piece of this, of course, is the stadium. And, uh, you know, I think the... I think the naming rights thing is significant. Um, This is just me speculating. This is me being a conspiracy theorist. I think the naming rights thing is significant to distance themselves from First Energy um, because it was a name that was coming under fire anyway because of the the HB6 scandal. Uh, You can read up on that. Uh, I have the story I wrote about the naming rights. I have a bunch of links back to a lot of our coverage of, of that scandal. So, um, I'm not as knowledgeable as it on it as you know our folks that have covered it at the state level. Uh, so check out some of their reporting. But you know that name had come under fire, and I, I there's a part of me that just feels like this is them starting to set up, and maybe not entirely, but at least partially starting to set up, having to go to the county and the city and all of these different parties and see how much money they can get 
to do a stadium because the pushback is going to be the pushback is pretty straightforward. You just paid eight hundred million dollars to buy part of the Bucks. You just paid Deshaun Watson two hundred thirty million dollars guaranteed. And oh, by the way, your stadium is associated with First Energy, which was just mired in scandal. Well, at least that last part is gone. Um, I think it's going to be an uphill battle for them to get public money. Maybe it does eventually just come down to them saying, forget it. We're going to go the the route where we just pay for it ourselves. But I I feel like all of this is sort of starting to point to them because the lease is up in 2028. So we're five years out. They're going to have to ask for this money soon. And I think that's where a lot of this is pointing at least. And again, just speculating on a lot of that, but I feel like that's where this is going. Oh, I agree with you 100%. They have to handle this whole thing very strategically. And I'll tell you what, 2028 is like tomorrow. It is such a small time frame in which to uh, figure out how you are going to finance an enormous, massive renovation of Cleveland Brown Stadium or whatever ends up happening with it. That is such a compressed time frame. I mean, you've got to get all of the financing, you know, together and voted on and figured out uh, and all the feasibility studies done. And you've got to get the, um, you know, the malls connected to the lakefront and all the things that they're, they're trying to do in conjunction with this. And then you've got to refurbish an entire enormous structure. I mean, we're talking about, I mean, I just had, we just had our sewers redone here in Rocky River on my street and that took a year and a half. Remember all the equipment going I, on? I mean, I think we heard, it, we heard it here on the podcast. You can go back and listen to old podcasts and just follow the progress of them getting the sewers yeah. redone. Yeah, it took us a year and a half to get that redone. And here we are talking about uh, the transformation of downtown Cleveland connecting uh, the waterfront to other parts of the city and getting a stadium refurbished and getting it all done within the next five years and having all the money to do it. I mean, my goodness, like they need, this needed to be started like four years ago and there has been stuff going on, but I mean, to really get this thing off the ground, they have to start putting the pedal to the metal. And I 100% agree and believe that distancing themselves from the first energy scandal is a big, huge part of this. Of course it is. And um, I think now it's just a matter of it. It opens up an opportunity for uh, the naming rights to the new refurbished stadium, uh, which I was kidding around. It's either going to be FanDuel or DraftKings. Um, (laughs) But, um, you know, this paves the way for that. And, um, you know, and, and I'll tell you, I mean, it could be a great opportunity, you know, to, you know, to really get this thing, uh, you know, going and get somebody else involved and get a, a name on there that, uh, you know, the, that the Browns are going to be proud of, that the city's going to be proud of. Uh, but, but yes, so Cleveland Browns Stadium for now, I don't think, I mean, the Haslam's are business people. I mean, if there's a naming rights opportunity that you can make millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars off of, you're going to do that. As you mentioned, they're paying a quarterback $230 million guaranteed right now. They just spent money on this basketball team and uh, they're, you know, they're, they're smart business people. So there will, I'm sure, be another name to Cleveland Brown Stadium at some point. But this is all part of the project. And, um, and they, you know, they've got to get people on board with it. And, and you're right. I mean, you need goodwill. You need goodwill. 
um, you know, back in the day, like, like when you had Belichick and Bernie, it was like, it wasn't goodwill in terms of what, you know, Art Modell was asking from the city, right? There wasn't goodwill around the team. And, and, you know, this one's a little dicey because you took this enormous risk on Deshaun Watson. It's got to pay off for them uh, from a football standpoint, you know, like they really need that to happen uh, to create this aura of goodwill around the football team and to kind of supersede uh, the off the field stuff. I, I want to do a bigger podcast about the stadium one of these days, but I am curious, just sort of your, your opinion. I, it seems like this is, this is barreling towards renovation. It seems like this is going to remain an open air facility. Um, we'll, we'll see kind of how things develop over the next, I, I mean, things are probably going to move quickly, but we'll see how things develop over the next year or so. I, as much as I love weather and football, as much as I love outdoor football, and I think indoor football looks ugly on TV and I, you know, it just seems, I don't know, there's something about an outdoor game that just feels right. I do feel like if they're going to spend this money on a stadium, you just got to put it, you've got to put a roof on it and you've got to be able to use it for more than just football. You've got to be able to use it like Indianapolis uses theirs, like some of these other places use theirs. And I know, again, it, it kind of stinks to take the weather out of it. And it, it kind of stinks to, you know, like I said, I don't love indoor football, but we've been to some of these stadiums. We've been to, to SoFi, which is a little different. It's not fully enclosed. It's kind of just a, a, cover over the stadium but like minnesota they've got the big windows that they can open like when it's nice out it feels open air we there's retractable roof stadiums that are really nice i don't know i I just feel like i feel like that's still a discussion worth having but i'm not sure if that's ultimately where they're going to go you know what dan i agree with you 100 percent. i really do agree with you but once again this is something that would have probably needed to start a long time ago. And when you look at SoFi, we've been to SoFi. SoFi is phenomenal. But do you know how much SoFi cost to build? Uh, it was in the billions and it was private. That's uh, Cronky paid for it, if I'm not yeah. mistaken. It was expensive. Five billion? $5.5 billion. Oh, wow. <laughs> right? And the Haslam's know that. They've looked into, of course what these stadiums cost to build. And and they're not, you know, they're not willing to shell out that kind of money right now. Um, so unless something unforeseen happens over the next year, whereby, like I said, it, it's, it's unforeseen. They have no plans of building a $4 million or $5 billion stadium in, in Cleveland right now and paying for that out of their own pocket. Now, Jimmy Haslam did joke around when, um, when Tony was asking like, Oh, you know, at, at the, at the owner's meetings, Tony Grossi was kept pressing him on, well, what if the mayor wants to, you know, put a roof on it and have an indoor facility. And, um, you know, and, and, and Jimmy was like, well, it depends on how much, you know, how much he wants to pay for it. Talking about mayor Bibb. I think everyone recognizes that, you know, $4 billion or $5 billion is not in the budget right now. So what's, um, you know, what is on the, on the table right now is this massive renovation that w- would be somewhere between 500,000 and 1 billion. And I think it's un- unfortunate. I mean, fi- 500 million and 1 billion. Um, I think it's unfortunate that, um, that we're not getting a SoFi plop down there on the lakefront. I think it would be phenomenal, but you'd probably need to, you know, get some of your billionaire friends to, you know, 
Warren Buffett. I've been kidding around like this, can, we could call it Warren Buffettville. Uh, you know, you, nobody foresees that that kind of money is going to come forward anytime soon from from anybody. So it just doesn't seem realistic at this this point. I wish it was realistic, but I don't think it is. Okay, let's do one football topic here before we go, and that's Odell Beckham. He officially signed with the Ravens, had his press conference. You wrote a story about it. Uh, what did you take away from what Odell had to say? Well, you know what? First of all, he seems to be counting on the fact that Lamar Jackson is going to be coming back there and playing for him. And he put out the public service announcement to bring Lamar Jackson back there and to get Lamar. And I'm sure Lamar, knowing that he's got Odell, is probably very inspiring to him because if you pair Odell with Mark Andrews and Rashad Bateman and some of the other pieces that they have, uh, you could really be dynamite on that offense and uh, Lamar could reach his goals, but they obviously have to come through with big money for him uh, to smooth over these ruffled feathers. But you know what? I I, I could see, um, you know, Odell being instrumental in saying, you know, look, you know, why wouldn't you pay him what, um, you know, what Joe Burrow is about to get, or why wouldn't you pay him the $230 million guaranteed that Deshaun Watson just get what just got, why wouldn't you do that? Um, so again, I don't know if he's going to be, you know, the deciding factor in them turning around and trying to get this deal done, but you know, they gave him $15 million guaranteed. That's a lot of money. So that means they're serious about winning and about something and about Lamar. So maybe it will get done. And I, you know, I I get the idea that it was a lot of money. So maybe that's really what it was, but it's just so hard for me to believe that Odell went to Baltimore without any chance of Lamar coming back. I I just like for his career, for his long-term outlook, if he, you know, wants to get another contract next year and, and, I don't know. Maybe Baltimore's offer was just so much higher than everybody else's. It was too hard to pass up. But, you know, we covered Odell here in Cleveland when he clearly wasn't thrilled with the quarterback play. I There's no way he wants to go through that again in, in Baltimore. It, it, I'm sure that there's some level of faith that Lamar is going to come back when, when he signed that contract. Yeah, I would think so. But I will tell you what, when you get to this point in your career, when you get to this age that he is at 30 years old, um, and you are carrying your little infant slash toddler son into your press conference, you're thinking about setting your family up. And when somebody is handing you $15 million guaranteed, that's a bird in the hand and you take it. Nothing. He did not have a contract yet with the Jets. He had an offer from the Ravens, a concrete offer at one year, $15 million. I could do anything for one year for $15 million. I could suffer through one more year of, (laughs) right. Of mediocre quarterback play, knowing that I'm setting that little Zidane up, uh, you know, for life with another $15 million. So um, let's not kid ourselves that the money didn't have a whole lot to do with this. And I'm sure he just figured, you know what? I'll deal with it. Hopefully I get Lamar back. <laughs> if not, I'm going to be cashing these lovely paychecks because it's guaranteed. Yeah, those overthrows or underthrows or missed throws are a lot easier to deal with when that direct deposit hits every couple oh, of weeks. Yeah. And it's and it's that and it's that amount of money. <laughs> yes, absolutely 100%. 
Okay, uh, there we go. A, a little bit of NFL Browns news here uh, to get the podcast started. We're going to take a break here on the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. And then when we come back, Ashley will join us. Nate Ulrich will join us. And we are going to do a succession character draft. Spoilers abound. We warn you plenty before we get to that segment. But just just one more time. Spoilers abound in the in the upcoming segment here as we talk succession. And welcome back to the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. We are going to shift gears and talk succession. Uh, Ashley is here. Mary Kay is here. And we have a special guest with us for this part of the pod. Uh, used to be on the Browns beat with us. Uh, works at the Beacon Journal. Nate Ulrich. Nate, welcome to the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. Thank you so much. I don't think I've missed an episode, so I feel like I belong here. Mary Kay, Nate is one of our most faithful listeners, as, as we know. I know. We occasionally give him a shout-out, a well-deserved shout-out. But uh, as you mentioned earlier before we got on here, Dan, this uh, this appearance was has been a long, long time coming. We couldn't wait for this to happen, and we're excited to have you. Yes, a lot of, a lot of road trips with Nate, a lot of late nights at the Combine with Nate. There's a lot there. So, so we're just bringing it to the <laughs> podcast here uh, today. Yep. Uh, all right, so we're going to talk succession. Here is my mandatory spoilers incoming we're gonna spoil anything and everything about this show so if you haven't watched it at all and don't want it spoiled you're warned if you haven't seen the latest episode you're warned ashley what have you got i was just going to say like to add to your warning dan i am a person who i think of myself as somebody who does not care about spoilers like if i get something spoiled like it doesn't really bother me i like to know something going in but i am telling you if you are like that you do not want this episode spoiled. I don't care if you normally don't care about spoilers. You will for this. It is better to experience it without knowledge. So you have been doubly warned now to <laughs> not listen to this if you have not watched and are planning to watch at any point in time. Yeah, there we go. Uh, all right, so we're going to do a draft because we love to do drafts. We got Nate on. He's got to be a part of a draft. We're going to do a snake draft here of the characters in the show who are in the best position following the events of episode three, which let's just, let's just say it, the death of Logan Roy. Um, I felt like this was, you know, Ashley, you've mentioned there was an interview uh, where Jesse Armstrong said a succession had to happen. And I suppose mm-hmm. there was a scenario where he just kind of handed the company off and like he was like what was going to happen early in the show, but it just feels like this creates the most chaos. And I don't know if you guys are, are watchers of the coming up next uh, stuff after the episodes, but this scenario just creates the most chaos, leaves everything wide open. Um, the company can go to anybody. So that's why I think this is a good opportunity to do this draft. Who's in the best position right now after Logan Roy's death? So our draft order is Mary Kay one, I'll go two, Nate three, Ashley four, and then we'll run it back for a second round, and then we'll hit on some characters that maybe we left off. So, Mary Kay, pick number one. You are up. Well, I first must say there is still a part of me that wonders if Logan Roy isn't staging his own death and that he is going to come back from the dead at some point and win in the end and take his company back. But I, I, I'm guessing that is a crazy notion uh, in the back of my head. So for purposes of this pod, for this draft... Uh, I am actually going to go with Shiv. I'm taking Shiv because uh, in my mind, uh, even though all 
of these characters in this whole entire show are nut jobs. Uh, I think Shiv is probably about the most level-headed, probably, you know, the smartest. Uh, she can craft statements. She can put herself out there in front of people without being uh, as insane as everyone else. Uh, I, I just think that, you know, if, if it were my company and I, I had to choose amongst all of these people, I would choose Shiv. Nate, I thought it was interesting when Shiv, uh, they, they read the statement and they weren't going to take questions. And then right at the very end, she gets asked a question and makes it clear that they're going to be very involved. That, that felt a little um, like I, we're not going anywhere. And of course, we know if the kids aren't going anywhere. Shiv is, is going to make her push to, to get this company, which she thought was going to happen anyway back in season three. Absolutely. I thought that Shiv tried to take charge there. And I think it definitely sets up for, uh, you know, her being a strong contender. I think this is a good number one pick. What's most interesting to me about Shiv is her and Tom. Okay. We saw, you know, Tom obviously was on the phone, uh, on the airplane, and he was the the one communicating with the siblings, um, you know, while their father was uh, receiving chest compressions. And then off the plane, Shiv and Tom have a moment where they almost kind of embrace, but then, you know, Shiv kind of backs away. I kind of think that Shiv's rise is going to be very interesting for Tom because I think that we may see a reconciliation there where, you know, we may see a pumping of the brakes of this divorce. And not because they love each other, but maybe because they realize they need each other more than they think they did when it comes to this kind of power struggle um, that Shiv is going to find herself in. And Tom obviously is in the game too. I think we may see a Frank and Claire Underwood set up here, you know, where we <laughs> see a couple come together and unite, not, not for romantic reasons, but for political and, you know, just for power. Well, and Ashley, I mean, Tom is kind of screwed here. Like he has yeah. gone all in on, oh, on yeah. Logan, and he's he's he might just have to go crawling back to Shiv just to even have a chance. Yeah, and in the preview for you know what's coming next, I think the perfect way to sum up Tom's situation is um, he's talking to Carl at one point mm-hmm. in an upcoming episode, and Carl says, "Well, if we're being honest, all you are is the son-in-law of the former boss, and his daughter doesn't even like you that much." And it's like true that kind of sums up. Where Tom is at, I think, you know, he's going to look back. You can tell in that phone call he has with Greg, like, he's a little panicky. And I'm sure some of that is shock, but some of that is also, like, Logan, my father-in-law, was my meal ticket, and now he's dead. And these, you know, other company higher-ups don't particularly care for Tom. And the Roy siblings right now don't particularly care for Tom. So it is interesting in that regard. But I do think Shiv, the fact that she gave that statement to me was like a big step for her this episode. Because it was interesting to see how the kids were handling this all differently. And she was the one who like fell apart with her emotions as the news came down. But she pulled it together and kind of became the face of the family side of this business for that. So I think that was a huge step for her and her standing in something like this. Okay. I really want to see the response to this, to my number two here. I do think, I do think one of the kids had to go number one and I think she was the right one of the three to go number one, but I am going away from the kids already with the number two pick. I, I really want to know 
I don't, I don't have a big board. I'm kind of winging it a little bit, just so everyone knows. But <laughs> this was someone I was going to take high if I had the opportunity. I'm going to say Jerry is in a great position right now. She goes from fired to start the episode to the guy who fired her is dead. And she doesn't have to kiss up to the kids anymore. Like she has no, like all bets are off at this point. This company could go anywhere. She's got probably the closest connection to the deal with Matson, right? Like she's been involved throughout this whole process. Um, she, she was in the room when, when Logan kind of betrayed the kids. So she's kind of, she's in on all that stuff. Like, I think Jerry's in a really, really good position right now uh, because she just kind of knows where all the skeletons are. She she did the DOJ thing. She got the company through that. I, I like where Jerry's at right now. So I'm going to take Jerry number two. Is this is this too high? Or is this, no, Ashley, you made I, a face when I made the pick. You didn't. I know. I was hoping against hope that Jerry would fall to four because I really wanted her for my first round pick. Um, I think this is a good pick, Dan. I think when you're going outside the family, she is, even if maybe not surface level, the leader of, we'll call them the old guard. Even if she's not the surface level leader of that old guard, she's the one pulling the puppet strings for all of them and by far the most competent. So I think this is a great spot for Jerry. And like I said, she really has nothing to lose at this point. She doesn't have to be loyal to those kids. The fact that Roman, like such poor timing, if Roman had just, done the smart thing and waited till after the wedding was over, which was his original plan and hadn't acted all weird, they maybe wouldn't be in this position and she would maybe still have some loyalty to Roman, but it's unfortunate timing on his part. And I really like this pick. I mean, Mary Kay, Jerry's just been hanging around all series. Well, you know what? The thing about Jerry right now is they have poked the bear. Okay. So the fact that, uh, Roman had to deliver that news that she was getting fired. She knows where all the skeletons are buried in this family. She knows everything. She's got dirt on Roman like crazy, right? I mean, if she, if she just wanted Roman under the bus, it would be very easy, uh, for her to cut him out of the process. Um, but she's got dirt like that on everyone. So she's very dangerous, I think. And again, they have poked the bear right now. So she's heading into this process very angry and probably, uh, you know, ready for some some revenge and ready to rumble. So I do think that this is a, a, it's probably a, a very underrated, sneaky, strong pick here at number two. Nate, a vengeful Jerry. I don't want I don't want anything to do with a vengeful Jerry. No, I don't want anything to do with it. And you know, I have criticized Ashley privately, but she brought it to the public uh, for her pick of Jerry. It's looking like a lot better pick uh, right now because I think I totally agree. Anyone outside of the kids, I think Jerry's in the strongest position. So I would not pick her, uh, or I would not pick Roman with my pick here at number three because of Jerry, because I think Jerry is the kryptonite to Roman uh, with all she has on him, all the dirt, and she can just, you know, destroy him. You know, this is obviously a, a show that, you know, we're, we're in the, in you know, 
today's day and age with the, the, the Me Too era, and I think that Jerry has the ammunition to, to take Roman down. I know he's very confident about what they can do legally, but I, I think that Roman is really backed in a corner. Now, just like Tom may try to unite with Shiv and weasel his way back in there, Roman needs Jerry on his side and maybe his reluctance to fire her, uh, you know, when he received the orders from Logan, uh, maybe that's something that he can use to try to get in her good graces again, but he had essentially carried out the order on the boat. So I think it's going to be an uphill battle for him. Again, Jerry wanted nothing to do with them towards the end of that episode too. Um, so I, I think, I think that left Roman in, in a really bad place there. So Nate, who will you take number three? I'm going to take Kendall Roy. Um, you know, Ashley made a, a really good uh, point, you know, with Shiv uh, stepping up. I think Kendall stepped up too in this episode. We all know that he's a mess, um, but I think right now he's in a great position. You know, he's the one that, I think had the coolest head in a moment of crisis uh, when, you know, Logan is receiving the chest compressions on the plane. Shiv's talking about, well, should we have the plane circle? And Kendall's the one who says, you know, hey, we need to take a step back and and just realize that however we react is going to be the way that we reacted on the day our father died. And I thought that was a key moment for Kendall and shows that in this, in this, you know, sequence, he has his head on straight. Now we know that that's not going to continue <laughs> based on the character and the history, but I think right now he is positioned well. And I think if a, uh, uh, one of the Logan's kids takes over and, you know, I think that if it's an, an immediate, uh, you know, kind of transfer of power that Kendall is positioned best, but I think he's going to fumble. I think we could see a, 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 a quick crash and burn here uh, in the final seven episodes or whatever, and then you could see somebody else at the end. But I think that, Lo, that, that Kendall is positioned well right now as we speak. So I was trying to think about this. Who, before he told, before he told Shiv and Roman, who else knew about the waiter? Was it just mm. Logan? Marsha? Marsha? Logan, Marcia's son, son, which was Marcia's the sneaky son. part of it. He's the one that saw this. So Marsha, like through that, Marsha secured basically a really good job for her son. That was like part right, of, right. of that. So it was, I believe. And, and the security guy. Yes, sec- Colin. Poor Colin. Colin by the way, that was, I thought that oh was my a gosh, heartbreaking, heartbreaking shot. <laughs> heartbreaking. I Poor love Colin. Colin. That was so sad. Poor Colin. Okay, so... What I'm wondering, Mary Kay, is is the fact that Kendall spilled the beans at the end of season three and mm. told Roman and Shiv about the waiter, is that suddenly going to come back and haunt him? I think so. I, I definitely think uh, that they have that out there for a reason. Uh, you know, in, in many cases that we're looking at right now, there's dirt on, on these individuals. And this is his dirt. This is his potential fatal flaw in this situation. So uh, we know Logan. I mean, we know that Roman has one. We know that, um, you know, that Kendall has one here. And uh, so I think this, it really could come back 
to haunt him. And, and I think it's, you know, sort, sort of perfectly played that it's kind of out there lying in the weeds, you know, just waiting to come back out and bite him. And wasn't there some like podcast or something that was like digging into this or I'm trying, there was yes. some, somehow this came up in yes. season three where there was somebody looking into like this yeah. mysterious death of this waiter. And like, I, I feel like that's just kind of hanging out there and mm-hmm. like, we're not, we're not well, quite done with that yet. And I do think like succession is not quite a ripped from the headlines kind of show. I mean, I've talked about like, there's some very obvious similarities between the Murdochs and succession and these characters and things that have happened, but they're not quite ripped from the headlines. But I do wonder ironically with this, like Alex Murdoch trial in the Carolinas, you know, and how that was all these really wealthy kids and, deaths happening around them and getting in trouble. Like, I do wonder if the writers of succession are going to like maybe pull from that small town, Southern crime situation down there a little bit to, to amp that up because the similarities are kind of eerie, quite honestly. Yeah. And then these, these kids are only going to play so play nice for so long. I mean, they, yeah. they, they made it like two episodes and then this third one, just because of the circumstances, but they, well, they can to- only play nice for so long. And to some extent, too, like, I wonder if it's, like, a Chekhov's gun kind of thing. Like, I think Logan's heart problems was that, right? Like, you can't have him have these heart problems in the pilot in the first few episodes and then not have those come back in this way. And maybe, like, the whole storyline with that, the waiter was, oh, Kendall does this, and the purpose of it is to show how immensely privileged and awful these people are, that he can just escape that. But I'm also, like, narratively will Jesse Armstrong want to bring that back in some way? And I could see that happening. Yeah, I think it is going to haunt him. And, you know, like we're talking about, the skeletons in the closet, I think they're they're a real threat, especially to, to um, Kendall and Roman. And that's why I think somebody's going to get power quickly, and then it's just going to be a, a, a nasty downfall. <laughs> and... <laughs> And I just think it fits the show. By the way, another reason I think that one of these kids is going to get power and then fumble it by the end of the, the series is because they're not serious people. We've been told this. Yeah. Ashley, you got back-to-back picks here. This is tough because all the good people I've wanted already have been taken, but I'm actually going to go with two, I think, back-to-back old guard people. And the first one I'm going to take is Frank because I think along with Jerry – Frank is the one who knows where all the skeletons are. He's been around the longest. He's like a cockroach. He survived being fired. He came back. And, like, there were some sneaky, smart Frank and Jerry moments this episode. Like, he was obviously, I think, you know, communicating with her or one of the people communicating with her. At the end, when they, you know, land and they're getting Logan's body and they were working on the statement, and he makes the comment, like, oh, we thought it was smart to include my jerry and carl's name in the statement to help the shareholders because they've been around so long and the kids said something shift i think was the one who said something to the effect from the kids side of it as well so i think jerry and frank to me are like maybe the two best and the most i guess willing to kind of play the game of the old guard people so with jerry gone i'm gonna take frank here is frank too nice nate i think he might be too nice or too loyal to kendall he might be, and obviously this is a show about the worst people ever, so that is not uh, going to work in his favor. Um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, 
you know, Ashley's really good at this. So my first instinct is to not love this Frank pick. And then by the next episode, he's going to like look like the right. man on the chessboard who everybody needs to look out for. Um, somebody else on the plane uh, struck me as, uh, you know, a, a real power player all of a sudden. So I don't want to, I'm sure you guys know. Yeah. Well, I think that's where I'm going with my next I pick, figured but... with the snake format, you had a real shot yeah. at that. Mary Kay, do you like the Frank pick here? You know, I'm sorry, but I just don't really love the Frank pick here. But I think I'm in the Nate camp on this one in that um, it just feels too fringy to me right now. Uh, I understand exactly uh, where you're going with this, Ashley, because he does have uh, all of the institutional knowledge of this family. He has all the dirt. He knows everything. He knows things, obviously, that we don't even know yet. Um you know, he knows things that we don't think he knows. And um, so, yes, I, it, it's a sneaky good pick. But my first instinct was like, uh, that would just kind of leave me meh, you know, if it, if it happened. That, that just wouldn't yeah. knock my I socks think, off. I honestly think the best first round choices were all taken already, quite honestly. Yeah, no, I, mean, I, I get it. But, my, I mean, but yes, this is I, not. I totally get it. Yeah, it's not a bad number four at all by any stretch of the imagination because you can make a very strong case for it, but it would just kind of leave me like, eh, okay, Frank, whatever. But <laughs> it would I would be so to, boring. I think to Nate's point, I, it almost feels like like I could see the most boring person just sort of rise to power right away somehow. <laughs> like, oh, okay, cool, Frank, yeah, he's the guy. And then maybe he gets pushed aside. You know, he just gets bullied out of the way. So, Ashley, you teased it a little. Who's your who's yeah. your wraparound here to start off the second round? Really, I teased it on the Monday pod, Dan, because I said this character would make a, the power rankings if we did those again. And I'm going with Carolina. Man, talk about a Carolina episode. This was the best episode for that character in the series, I think. She was the one to immediately jump the gun strategize, immediately kind of push Carrie out to the side. And we see where that relationship has gone in the last two episodes. She had the idea for the statement. She handled it all really well, like saying like, well, if we get a miracle, fantastic, great for us. But we're writing the statement and we're figuring it out right now. Um, I think she is with that old guard now to, and like, I think she can kind of finagle her way over to another side if she had to. She's very, I think, great at walking that line and communicating in a way that I, I feel positively about where she's going to end up at the end of this. I, I was thrilled. I was thrilled to see Carolina back on top. Just this Hugo, the whole Hugo thing, like he comes out of nowhere. And, you know, when the yachts thing starts, when the, the cruises thing starts to happen, he comes out of nowhere and now all of a sudden he's getting screen time and he's the PR guy and the communications guy. Hugo, get out of here. Go away, Hugo. It's Carolina's time. And she's going to cook. I'm all about this pick. Carolina was an absolute superstar in this episode. And I, for one, am happy that she made Hugo look foolish, Mary Kay. Yeah, she, she, was, she was good. There's one thing that they do do in this show a lot is they do give the women a lot of power. They really do. Um, they, they put the pants on, on these women and they let them run companies, run the show, run the families. Um, and so certainly she was a, oh, I can't say that. 
she was a <laughs> she was a tough chick. She was a tough chick in this in this show, in this episode, and and you could see her uh, making a power play because once again, uh, like I said, they you know you you really have to watch out for. Uh, you know, for the the women, I've talked about this before on this pod that even like in the marriage of Shiv and Tom, Shiv wears the pants in that family, right? So these are not shrinking violets by any stretch of the imagination. Think of them, Jerry, Carolina, Shiv, Marsha, right? I mean, who wants to mess with these women? Nobody. So yeah, this is a nice pick here. Nate, are you, I mean, look, I'm just happy to see Hugo. Again, I don't like Hugo. Hugo's the worst. Glad to see Carolina was on the plane, took charge. I don't know if she can ultimately land the top job, but it was just really refreshing to have a Carolina episode. Oh, yeah. I think that, you know, it's (laughs) we're on the the Orange and Brown Talk podcast, so the the analogy to football is you don't really know what a quarterback's made of until he is under pressure, okay? And Carolina, under pressure, rose above everybody else on that plane. I mean, she was a star. And I think that Kendall uh, was the parallel to Carolina in the way, you know, on the yacht out of the siblings, he kind of rose and was ready to make the wise business decisions in the heat of the moment uh, and was aware of the optics. Carolina is the one who was rallying everybody, and she just responded – uh, like somebody who is ready for more. So, yeah, I definitely think this was a good pick. This was obviously the pick I was talking about um, being, in my mind, the, the selection in, in front of Frank at number four, but Ashley got them both, so it makes sense. Okay, so, Nate, you are up again here with the, the second pick in the second Okay, round. now this is a flawed pick, as I've, I think we've all I love discussed, it. but at number six, to get one of the Roy children um, – you know, other than Connor, um, who who knows, by the way, maybe he's worthy of a pick in this because that I could see, you know, the crash and burn, uh, you know, happening. And then maybe it lands in someone's lap like him. But I, I'm going to take Roman. I'm going to take Roman here at number six. Obviously, he's going to have to figure out how to navigate things with Jerry. That is by far the greatest obstacle uh, that he faces. But still at number six, I think he is a worthy pick because despite all those issues, you know, we've seen him right there in the mix, um, you know, for a a top spot in the eyes of his father. And, you know, right up until Logan's death, it was Roman who was kind of the, the, you know, chosen one. And I know that's, uh, you know, kind of something that, you know, Logan would uh, switch up all the time and flake out about. But, yeah, I think that Roman is a good pick here because he is a real player. And maybe Jerry, with as smart as she is, as good a position as she is in, will realize that, you know, ultimately this succession needs to go to a child of Logan Roy. And she can essentially be a puppet master of Roman with every piece of dirt that she has on him. And maybe that's how an alliance can come to be. So I'm trying to think of scenarios where 
I, I think Roman could win. And, and while Nate was talking, I, I was thinking, I just don't know if I see one. I don't know if anybody like trusts Roman enough to actually allow him to get control. But then it kind of hit me like, who's the one connection left to Matson? And that's kind of Roman, right? Like he's yeah. the guy. I mean, I mentioned like Jerry's been involved. Like a lot of people have been involved in this, but Roman is like the Matson whisperer. And so maybe Roman figures out a way to save this deal and he ends up being in a really powerful spot. So I, I think that's maybe a scenario there, Ashley. Do you, do you like Roman as a possi- in a good position right now? I mean, I think this is a good spot for him to go. I don't hate this pick. And I think like he, he does have to go in the second round. And there are some interesting things about him. And it's not just the connection, connection to Matson. But again, from watching the previews, we're going to get more about this presidential election. And he's the one with the connection to that Mankin, who's running on the Republican ticket, who ATN has decided they're going to run with till the end. So I do think those connections are interesting there. And I think the thing about Roman, for as much of like a clown as he is at times, or like a court jester of the show in some ways, like he does have, I think, the drive to get certain things done maybe not the drive but like he's not afraid to play dirty right I think that's more of a better adjective for him and to describe his style so I think Roman's going to be all right like he's in he's a worthy option to consider here Mary Kay if we were talking about this like the NFL draft would be saying okay Roman the third kid off the board <laughs> you know what I actually really like this pick out of all, I mean, out of all these kids, I mean, I, I think that Roman might have the most redeeming qualities uh, in, in, in that he is so darn funny. I mean, how many times have you burst out laughing with something crazy that Roman said? I mean, he's crass, he's raw, but he's funny. He's also sneaky smart. As you go through the seasons, you see that he's got some really, really good Really good instincts. I think he inherited a lot of business sense from his dad. I really, really do. I think he's sneaky, smart, and that it just kind of needs to be honed. Like he needs the, um, you know, just a little bit of guidance to get it going in the right direction. Out of all these kids, I feel like he genuinely loved his dad more than any of them. Like genuinely loves his dad. And I think that there's going to be some power in that. Um, and, I, you know, again, I don't know how that might, you know, manifest, but, you know, that might, you know, that might carry him. The fact that, you know, that, that he really wants to honor the memory of his dad and the legacy of his dad, because, you know, I mean, he was very approval seeking, of course, and in the end, it, he really bought into... Uh, you know, Logan's BS when he said, I need you. But that really moved Logan. He's one of these, I mean, Roman, he's one of these kids that, um, you know, that really, really needs that kind of daddy love. And, uh, and so I, I like this pick and I think he can overcome, speaking of picks, I think he can overcome the picks um, that he has out there floating well around. <laughs> um so, yeah, he might have to pay off Jerry a little bit or give her a, a you know, a big, 
role in things, but he can do that. Like, like Nate was suggesting this, this could be an alliance between the two of them. So I could see it happening and I like it. Okay. I am, I'm not a hundred percent sure how I feel about this, but I just feel like this person has to be on the board. It's somebody I, I literally just talked about in relation to Roman. I think he's got to be on the board because he was about to take over the company anyway. Uh, now, obviously, it was Logan who was kind of driving that. But I think Matson is still, I think his position is weakened a little because obviously the, you know, the kids wanted to go back to the table and try and get a better price. And, I, you know, it, it was Logan who wanted to make this deal. But there was a lot of Alexander Skarsgård in that uh, in that coming up on Succession, which was basically like a season trailer. Um, I think Matson is still going to have a lot to say in all of this, and I think when there's a power void, obviously the you know the the people who are closest to Logan and kind of next in line are going to jump in. But a guy like a guy like Matson, who has a lot of money and can basically save the company. He's he's got an opportunity to jump in there too if he wants to. Nate, it's just a matter of is he a little too I don't know if flaky's the right word, but is he a little too like like he just doesn't seem to care. Like he'll make the deal or he won't. It doesn't matter. Is, is there a little bit of too much of that? And maybe he ends up walking away. Maybe, but I think he cares more now. And I think it has to do with he knows he can outmaneuver these uh Roy children in ways that he probably wasn't as confident about their father. So I think he's going to see a real opportunity. I think he definitely needed to come off the board here in this draft. I think it's a good pick. And, you know, you, you are right in that, uh, you know, he and Roman uh, kind of have that connection and it'll be interesting to see how that goes. Um, You know, it could be, that could honestly, that could be in another Alliance, um, you know, Roman, we're going to see some backstabbing, obviously. So is he backstabbing his siblings, um, you know, and, and for somebody outside the family? It wouldn't be shocking. So, you know, I think that this definitely needed to be someone who was picked. So I'm on board with this one for sure. Mary Kay, is this the right spot for Matson? It feels a little high to me for Matson. It just, it feels a little high. Like, I... I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have even thought about him here. But I can understand where you're going with it. It is, it is a good pick. I mean, he does hold all the cards. Uh, he's got a lot of power. He's a cool cucumber. Uh, he is, um, you know, he's the man right now. So, I, uh, I can see where you're going with this. I just, for my money, I think it's a little, a little bit higher than I would have picked him. Ashley, where are you at? Well, I famously, famously had him at the top of the power rankings last week. True. I do think he deserves to drop, but Alexander Skarsgård is in two more episodes, including, I believe, the finale. So that, to me, says he's got to be around and be a player in this in some way. Um, so I think he's worthy of going, for sure. Okay, so Mary Kay, our last pick here, and then we'll throw out some characters that maybe we missed. So, you guys are probably going to disagree with this, but... I'm going to need you to bear with me and hear me out, okay? Because I could have made better picks here, I think, potentially uh, at face value. But I am going with, wait for it, write down who you think I'm going to say. Um, I, you guys can tell me 
I, I have somebody I hope you're going to say. I don't think you're going to say him, but. Okay. I have I'm gonna, after I say who I'm going to say, I want to know who you guys thought I was going to say. I am going with Connor Roy here. Did anybody guess that for me? No. I guess Tom. I thought you were going to pair okay. Tom and Shiv together. Okay. Now, can I, can I, I say who? Who did you guess, yeah. Nate? Okay. So, based on what <laughs> Mary Kay said earlier, I guess Logan Roy. <laughs> I, love it. I, I thought it would have been an it. awesome pick, and That's good. I just want to—I just want to say, first of all, I think Logan is dead, but I love the conspiracy—I <laughs> love the conspiracy theory because even the actor Brian Cox—I heard an interview with him yes. on the, uh, the yeah. HBO podcast that compliments the yeah. show. And he's entertaining that theory, like, oh, well, you, there's <laughs> some mystery. You never really oh see the body in the body bag. And so, Mary Kay, you're not that. totally out of left field there. Even the actor okay. likes to flirt with that notion. Okay. I, I, I was hoping, just for the chaos of it, I was hoping Mary Kay was going to say Nan Pierce. <laughs> 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 That's That'd funny. I thought about it. I thought about Nan, and I'll tell you who else I thought about after I after I explain my rationale on Connor. There's somebody else that I was thinking. Nate, I love that you were carrying through my little conspiracy theory there, and I'm not. I'm still not a hundred percent certain that I'm going to be wrong about that. But for purposes of this pod, I figure we'll just, let's just keep him dead. But that would have been pretty that cool. Been fun. Um, yeah, that would have been fun. But so the reason I went with Connor is because, you know, whenever you watch the show, you absolutely 100% forget that Connor is a Roy child. You forget about him. Even when they were all huddled together around the phone and their father, they were talking the phone into their father's ear while he was getting the chest compressions. Connor was nowhere to be found. He was not there because we always forget. He's on the fringe. We always forget that he is one of the Roy children. And he will readily tell you, and often does, that like his dad didn't even, you know, his dad didn't even like him. Like he was talk about not a serious person. He is the epitome of not a serious person among the Roy children. Right. But Connor Roy, as we can see by him trying to run for president and do all these things, is that he wants to be relevant. He wants to prove to his father that he is worthy of the Roy name. He really wants that. Not only that, he's got a wife that doesn't respect him at all. I mean, at all. She admitted that she is only with him for the money, for the money. She admitted it. And that is sticking in his craw. And he is about to go Vesuvius, okay? Like he's done. He's done with this. He is ready to plant his Roy flag and... To, sh- to prove to these children, to these other kids, uh, that all along he deserved, uh, you know, some of his father's love, some of his father's attention. And he just wanted his dad to be, he wanted his dad to be proud of him. And he's going to do whatever he can to make his dad proud and to make Willa respect him. And somehow he's got a power play deep within that soul of his. There, yeah, I mean, he's around for some reason. Because, like, listen, 
if I just had a bunch of money that I inherited or was going to inherit or my, you know, just a bunch of family wealth and I just lived in the desert, I'd just stay out in the desert and nobody would ever hear from me. But if I really wanted to kind of get back in the mix, then I'd be around like Connor's around. So yeah, Ashley, there's something, there's something cooking there with Connor. There is. And like, again, this presidential run, I still am curious about and how this is all going to play out because it's still hanging out there in the back. Like I do think Connor is worthy of, of being taken here um, as our Mr. Irrelevant in the succession draft. <laughs> That's right. It's fitting for Connor. And it also so I will fitting. say it was also fitting to go along with Mary Kay's point about him being nowhere to be found as the kids are talking to Logan on the phone. In that scene, there is a giant picture of Connor behind them as they are on the phone. So it's like so fitting. He's there, but he's not. Yep. And and he was also not at the airport with, with the kids. The three kids went back. Right. Connor right. stayed back. Went and got and married. Ended, yeah. And they right. going through with the wedding, Nate. Right. I mean, Connor, we haven't heard the last of old Connor Roy. He's the black sheep of the black sheep. I mean, he's... Right. So, yeah, I, yeah, don't know. I, think I just think great, there's something, something sneaky going on. I think there. it's a great pick. And I think if your last name's Roy, <laughs> you're one of those Logan yeah. children in a, in a draft with eight picks. All four deserve to be picked. Um, the Mr. Irrelevant thing was on the tip of my tongue, too. It's so fitting for him, as Ashley said. <laughs> and the bottom line is I'm working on this theory that, that one of these kids, one of these kids is going to get the power and then screw it all up and it's going to fall to somebody else. And I could see it falling to Connor. I don't think he's the guy who would immediately be in charge, right? He's got other stuff going on, but I could see it falling into his lap. And he's kind of, to your guys' point, the forgotten Roy kid. And when I think of Game of Thrones and who became the king at the end, Connor kind of has some of that going where, you know, if you, he wouldn't be the top one in your power rankings as the likeliest. And let's face it. When Logan Roy dies in the third episode of the last season, this is not a series that has gone chalk. So I don't think the likeliest choice is going to be the one standing at the end. That's why I like Connor. Yeah. There's still seven episodes left after, after he dies, it can't be a clean, there's not going to be a clean transition. Mary Kay, you said you had a couple other names. Uh, so let, let's, let's hit on some names here. I know we're kind of up against it time-wise, but uh, what, who are some other names you were thinking of? You know, I was afraid, Dan, that you were taking Connor at number seven. I was convinced that you were taking Connor uh, at number seven. And I just love that line when it, after his dad died, he said it very kind of quietly where he was like, he didn't even like me. I mean, that, that was, that was so powerful, but anyways, um, the, I had two other people that I thought that they could do something very crafty and weird with, um, number one, what about Marsha? We've lost Marsha. If we did a lightning round, I was considering taking Marsha because she's coming back. There's no way. Right. I mean, Marsha is. She is sneaky, powerful, um, quietly, very, very powerful. And she's she's got a enormous, I'm sure, financial stake in all of this. Uh, she just kind of disappeared. We don't know what she's up to, um, but she could swoop in and steal it all and pull the rug out from 
everyone and preserve everything for her own family and uh, and all of that. So so she's she's a sneaky sneaky one. And then the other um, the other one that I had in mind was um, Carrie. Like, what if she's pregnant or something? Like, what if they what if they pull? What if they do something like that? Where I mean, that was a thing at the end of season three. That yeah. she was wanting that, so it's definitely. What if out she's there. pregnant? I have like she's pregnant, and there's a a Roy child that we don't even know about. Mm-hmm. What if she? Yeah. What if she did one of those things and got like Logan to alter his will or something yes, for she her? May have. We don't know. We don't know. The it's kids, out there. The, the mom. She. Yeah. Oh yeah, she Caroline. Get back she's ruthless. I mean, yeah. she's ruthless. But she did turn her shares. I mean, the shares was part of the screwing the kids over. Um, Also, I mean, we didn't mention Tom and Greg. Like, I do. I am. That's what I was going to say. We haven't said anything about Greg. Tom's positioning. I am curious about now. I think he lost a step this episode. But part of me is still like, is Greg like gonna just something screwy is going to happen with Greg? And he's been a bit of a doofus these first handful of episodes. But I don't know. Greg has that, to use the term that athletes love to say, Greg might have that dog in him. I don't know. There was yeah, there was an interesting moment, Nate, when uh, Tom was on the phone with Greg telling him to go delete the files. And he he told Greg, like, basically said, don't, like, keep this under lock and key. Don't tell anybody. But it also seemed like he knew Greg was going to tell somebody, which he probably turned around and told that reporter he was talking to. Because the next thing he said was, uh, make sure people know I was with him. Or so, so, that's not the exact. Yeah. So it was very much like, yeah. don't leak this, but I know you're going to leak this. So when you do, make sure yeah. you mention this. Yes. Yeah. Greg is a very yep. sneaky uh, <laughs> uh, player in this game who has learned some things along the way. And I just like the idea of him being very relevant uh, in this power struggle. You know, the guy who started off as the mascot. Uh, at the amusement park, I think he's going to be a factor. <laughs> and when I think about kind of, you know, at least the, the group of, uh, you know, Shiv, uh, Kendall, and Roman, and I think about alliances, potential alliances at least, and we talked about them with, with Roman. Uh, we talked about them with Shiv. I think Greg might be the Kendall guy. They've done it before. Uh, you know, Greg then turned uh, on him, but, you know, these things can – <laughs> fluctuate. Greg could come to uh, Kendall with some kind of olive branch and, and he could be a player there. Um, so I definitely think Greg needs to be mentioned. I also want to say his uncle, Logan's uh, brother, uh, is somebody who we still might hear from. Uh, and I think he could be, uh, you know, a significant presence here. You know, he's he's obviously... Uh, you know, got a vote on the board, uh, and he is very passionate. And I could, I could see him making some noise here too. So yeah, he was, he was somebody I was going to throw out. I just have kind of the the cast list up here just to see if there's any names that that we missed. We, nobody mentioned Carl. Um, that's that's a guy who was on the plane. Yeah, who had Stewie? maybe the funniest line of the episode with the chuckles, the clown calling Carrie that. <laughs> yes, yeah, so, uh, Stewie. Stewie's hanging around looking mm-hmm. to do shady stuff still. Um, 
I don't know, maybe we'll see Adrian Brody back in back in the mix. Um, there was somebody I scrolled by here that I wanted to bring up, and, and I got to find him. Uh, let's see, we mentioned. Oh, what if Jess just wins this whole thing? Good old Jess. Kendall takes over, and Jess just backstabs him. And there we go. Jess is in charge of everything. That would be yeah. That would be the best outcome if we're being honest. Poor Jess, right. who had an impossible task this week, too, of basically getting every top medical professional on the phone in minutes. <laughs> Kendall was Kendall was delusional at that point, but I felt for Jess. I mean, I say I say get Hugo out of there and just put Jess put Jess in his spot. There you go. Just just get what Hugo about, out. What about the files uh, that Greg that Greg has? I mean, he could use still use those files. Yeah, I was thinking against about that everyone else. I mean, he might just be able to pop up and say, I could blow this whole thing out of the water because I'm holding the keys to the castle right here. So I do think that's, that's still out there. You know, his uncle probably would like that quite a bit. Yeah. He'd get, get, he'd get back in the will maybe if he, uh, if Mm -hmm. he ended up bringing down the company. Okay. There we go. Our succession draft leading into episode four. It feels like this is kind of the, the start of the season. Everything was kind of set up for what happened in episode three. And, and now we're really, uh, it's going to get crazy. And by the way, uh, Ashley, we've talked about this, but Barry is back on Sunday night too. So just overwhelming, it's an overwhelming Can't. stretch of, of TV coming our way uh, as a couple of great series are going to come to an end. Nate, we appreciate you jumping on. It was great to finally have you on the Orange and Brown Talk podcast to not talk Browns, talk <laughs> succession. Well, uh, they, have, they have so many things in common, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're right. But thank you. That, that's going to be a podcast one day. Right. Uh, so anyway, uh, just make sure you're a football insider, subscriber, cleveland.com slash Browns, the blue banner at the top of the page to get the newsletter, become a texter, and get access to those stories uh, on cleveland.com slash Browns. You need to be a subscriber to read and get subscribed to the podcast on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. For Ashley, Mary Kay, and Nate, I'm Dan. Thanks for listening, everybody. Bye.